We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. This is WEEI Late Night with Brian Barrett on WEEI. Welcome in. We are with you until 11 tonight. We got a special coming up. Joe Castiglione, John Sterling from 11 to midnight, getting you ready for the baseball season. But I want to start with this before we get into the Red Sox and Rafael Devers. Tonight was a good night for the Celtics on a multitude of levels. They go to Milwaukee. They lose to the Bucks. The 76ers lose to the Toronto Raptors. And let me tell you, this is very, very good news, people. And if you want to weigh in on this, 617-779-7937. Was tonight's loss a win? See what I did there, Justin? Was tonight's loss a win? I say yes. Here's why. So now the Celtics with this loss, they drop to the number three seed in the Eastern Conference. So let's start with the first portion of this. There's four dimensions to this. Are you ready? There's four dimensions. Here's the first dimension. You just sent a message loud and clear Milwaukee. The Celtics went in without Tatum, without Al Horford, and of course, we know without Robert Williams because of the injury. They almost beat them on their home court, okay, without, count them, not one, not two, three starters. They played all their guys. They played Giannis. They played Middleton. They played Drew Holiday. The Celtics sent them a message loud and clear you are not going to roll over us in the second round. We are coming for you. Okay, they sent that message to the Bucks. Second level of this. Now, Philadelphia lost to Toronto. Okay? So, and by the way, they couldn't play Matisse Thibel in this game because Matisse Thibel is not vaccinated. I mean, I'm not, like, giving out his medical information. It's known now. He couldn't play because he's not vaccinated. Toronto beats Philly 119-114. to 114. So you stay in front of Philly. Philly drops to the four seed. Why is that important? Because right now in the standings, the Philadelphia 76ers would be playing the Toronto Raptors in the second round. And we all know this whole situation as it pertains to the Celtics. Uh, we're not so sure about this Toronto thing, are we? I mean, we don't know. We don't know if Jalen's vaccinated. We don't know if Al Horford's vaccinated. We know they weren't vaccinated. At least that's what the reporting is. So if you go to Toronto... You're not going to have Al Horford. You're not going to have Jalen Brown. At least that possibility presented itself. So now look at what the Celtics have. They have the easiest possible matchup that they could ask for in the first round. The Celtics would be playing the Chicago Bulls. Did you watch that game last night? Oh, my God. Chicago stinks. The Celtics are going to mop the floor with that team. Their best defensive player is not there. Lonzo Ball's not there. And not to mention, like, it's not like, oh, Lonzo Ball is going to cover Jason Tatum. No, he's not. The Celtics, like, they didn't even have to break a sweat last night to demolish the Chicago Bulls. So you got a first-round series where I would be shocked if the Celtics lost two games. I would predict them to sweep this thing. If they lose two games in that series, that would be a disaster. Not a disaster, but it'd be disappointing if the Celtics actually lost twice to that Chicago team. They're going to mop the floor with the Bulls. 
So you now have an advantageous first-round matchup. You get the easiest matchup. Now, Toronto's a better team than Chicago, and you don't have to deal with that issue right now going to Toronto, not knowing what's going on with Jalen Brown and with Al Horford. So that's a win. So you you prove to Milwaukee you sent the message. You now avoid, potentially, unless something goes really awry in the last couple of games of the season here, right? Because now you can play all your guys in that matchup against the Memphis Grizzlies on Sunday, and who the hell knows what's going on with John Morant right now. It doesn't behoove Memphis to play anybody because Memphis is in a situation right now where they have the two-seed locked up. Okay, so that element is there. And how about this? And I know that Milwaukee's not scared of anybody. They're the reigning, defending NBA champions, blah, blah, blah. But Milwaukee now plays Brooklyn in all likelihood in the first round. Unless Brooklyn drops a game down the stretch here. But in all likelihood, the first play-in game is going to be Brooklyn versus Cleveland. So you get Kevin Durant to go head-to-head with Giannis Antetokounmpo in the first round. And the Celtics get to go head-to-head with DeMar DeRozan and Zach Levine and Nick Vucevic. I mean, how bad is that guy on defense? They play drop coverage all the time. Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are going to be walking into jump shots, wide open jump. Tatum and Brown didn't even shoot the ball. Jalen got off to a quick start, but they didn't even shoot the ball particularly well last night. And look at what the Celtics did. That was not even a challenge for them whatsoever. So when you take all these elements into equation, tonight was a massive win for the Celtics. You get, as of right now, you have the easiest first round matchup out of Milwaukee and Philadelphia, like the Three teams are all bunched up together, if you will. And you get Brooklyn to play Milwaukee. And you sent the message to Milwaukee. I mean, this is a perfect night for the Celtics. And another thing I would say real quickly here is nobody, and I mean nobody, should be scared of the Philadelphia 76ers right now. Oh, my God. James Harden tonight. He played 39 minutes. He was 3 of 12. He scored 13 points. Remember when everybody, oh, my God, Philadelphia is the team to beat at the trading deadline. James Harden has played in four games this month. You know what he's shooting from the floor? 36.4%. He's shooting 30% from three-point territory. He's averaging 14.7 points per game. Why would anybody be scared of this team? So when you look at it, just on so many different levels, this was a win for the Celtics. And I know that publicly they won't come out and say it. They're going to say Jason Tatum was dealing with knee tendonitis, patellar tendonitis, or tendinopathy, whatever it is they're labeling it as. Al Horford, it probably behooves them to give Al a night off. The guy's been incredibly spry at the age of 35. He's really one of the main reasons right now the Celtics are where they are. If they don't have Al Horford, they're nowhere near as good as they are right now because Al Horford enables them to do a lot of different things from a defensive perspective. I mean, if you look at it, the Celtics on the season entering tonight, defensively, I should say, they have entering tonight defended 779 isolation possessions this season, the most in the NBA. And the reason they have the most in the NBA is because they switch everything. It's 41 more possessions than any other team in the league. They still rank first in isolation situations in opponent field goal percentage, 36.9. Opponent effective field goal percentage, 39.7. Opponent's points per possession, 0.80. So they face the most isolation situations in the NBA because they want to and they have the best field goal percentage, effective field goal percentage, points per possession. So they're the best isolation defense, and they put themselves in that situation the most because of that switching scheme. And a major reason for that is Al. Al has defended 173 isolation possessions this season. That is 25 more than any other player in the entire NBA. 
and opponents are shooting just 34.7% when Al Horford guards them in isolation situations. This has been a complete revelation for Horford this year. At the age of 35, for him to be this spry, it's a major reason the Celtics have been this good from a defensive perspective. But like a couple of weeks ago, or I should say about a week and a half ago now, we were sort of down as Celtics fans because we didn't really know what was going to happen with this whole situation with Robert Williams. But now when you look at the first-round matchup and you realize it's this sorry Chicago Bulls team, unless something happens over the final couple of days of the season, but you get this sorry-ass team that is dealing with injuries to a guy like Lonzo Ball. They have not been the same team lately. Zach Levine, to me, does not look right. I mean, you watched that game last night. This is one of the premier athletes in the NBA. He does not look like he has the same level of athleticism right now. He's been dealing with an injury throughout the season. I just feel like the Celtics are in a really good spot right now. And by losing tonight, they won. They lost, and they won, baby. See what I did there? They lost, but they won. And, man, if you're Milwaukee, <laughs> you just got a message sent to you. The Celtics are coming for the Bucs. They just sent that message loud and clear. The Bucs probably thought that was going to be a cakewalk. Oh, Tatum's not playing. Horford's not playing. We're going to run away with this thing. No. No, not so much. And another thing I just want to give Ime Adoka credit for real briefly here is the way that this offense and Tatum and Brown and all these guys, but the way that the offense has evolved over the season has been tremendous. Obviously, Ordway would be proud. The ball movement has been phenomenal. Actually, this month, or I should say since the start of March, they're averaging 28.9 assists per game, which is fourth in the NBA during that stretch. But if you look at the Celtics, just how much better they've gotten offensively throughout the year, because the defense has always been good, but it went to a different level when... You had a couple of things go right for you. First of all, you had a great move by Ime Adoka, and Scal's the first guy to point this out. I criticized Scal earlier. I'll give him credit for this. When Ime Adoka took Robert Williams off the big, he has him on usually a corner three-point shooter, so he can be that sort of free safety on defense and erase everything at the basket as a help defender. So that was a huge move by Ime Adoka, and partially because you have Al, you're able to do that, right? So that was a big thing. And then getting Schroeder out of here, who doesn't play defense. Guy was angel food cake from a defensive perspective. Incredibly soft, right? That guy was about himself, trying to get paid, blah, blah, blah. You get the point. You bring in a guy like Derek White. So now you have no weak links on the defensive side of the ball. You have nobody right now that you can attack defensively because of the moves that Brad made and some of the adjustments that Ime Adoka made. So obviously the defense got better throughout the season, and in, in particular after the new year. But the defense has been really good all season long. The offense has been the biggest thing. So if you look at the Celtics prior to the ball dropping on New Year's Eve, the Celtics were 17 and 19. They looked lifeless. They were borderline unwatchable at that particular point in time. And the Celtics at that point, they had a 108.3 offensive rating. That ranked 20th in the NBA. They were the 20th ranked offense prior to the ball dropping. Since then, the Celtics have a 117.4 offensive rating. You know where that ranks in the NBA? Second during that stretch. And during that stretch, from a record standpoint, they are 33-11. and 11. So they have been rolling. And on the season now, because, of course, you had that horrible start to the season where until the new year, you were 20th in offense. The Celtics are now up to 8th in offense on the year. They're at 113.3, and they're second since the start of the new year from an offensive perspective. So everything is clicking right now for the Celtics. The only real issue they have is the health of Robert Williams, and it feels like we got good news when it comes to that as Celtics fans because of the fact that 
and look, maybe for the long term it's a bigger concern because of the fact that he had part of his meniscus taken away and ordinarily, or I should say taken out. Ordinarily, when that happens, you're more prone to arthritis later on in life and into your 30s. Dwayne Wade had the removal of the meniscus. Now, it appears by reading everything, and I love how the Celtics like gave a play-by-play on the surgery. It feels like they just took a piece out of the meniscus out. But when you do that, the recovery is shorter than when you get a full repair. So it seems like the Celtics dodged a bullet there. This loss tonight to the Milwaukee Bucks is huge because you get the Bulls in the first round unless something crazy happens in the next couple of days. But this is a massive win for the Celtics tonight, even though they lost the game. All right, 617-779-7937, the number. Brian Barrett with you up until 11 o'clock. If you do want to weigh in on the Celtics, how big of a win was this tonight, even though the Celtics lost? Plus, I have some good news. As it pertains to Rafael Devers, I believe he is going to be a Red Sox long term. I'll tell you why next here on EI. How about those Celtics? Woo! Marloni and Fourier. Weekdays, 2 to 6. Now, here's what's trending on WEEI. During Jeep celebration events at 495 Jeep in Lowell, custom order your new Jeep. Get it fast in the color and the option you want, and don't pay for the features you don't want. 495Jeep.com. All right, we were just talking about it. The Celtics fell to the Bucks, 127 to 121. But it is good news for the Celtics because now they drop to the three seed right now. They are scheduled to play the Chicago Bulls in the first round of the playoffs instead of Toronto, where we don't know the vaccination situation. And instead of playing hypothetically and most likely the Brooklyn Nets in the first round of the playoffs. So even though the Celtics lost a massive win for this team, they will visit the Grizzlies Sunday night for their regular season finale. I'll say this to the Celtics. Have a little bit of fun in Memphis. Let loose a little bit. Have some fun in Memphis, okay? The Sox open up a three-game set with the Yankees on Friday afternoon. Pre-game coverage starts at 12.05 with Mutt across the Shaws and Star Market. Red Sox Network, Nathan Avaldi on the mound. He is opposite Garrett Cole. Meanwhile, Xander Bogart said this afternoon there was no chance that he agrees to a contract extension before opening day. John Morosi reports the Sox and Rafael Devers not likely to get a deal done before the start of the season, but I have good news with that. I'll tell you about that in just a second here. The Bees will visit the Lightning on Friday night. They're coming off a 5-3 loss to the Red Wings on Tuesday night. And how about this? Tiger Woods made his return this afternoon. He had not played competitively in 509 days after the car accident, of course, where he almost had to get his leg amputated. That's how bad it was. This guy's back on the course today. He shot a 1-under-71. Very respectable. As for the rest of the leaderboard after one round, Sung J M, the leader, he's at 500 par. Cameron Smith is at 400 par. Dustin Johnson right there as well. He's at 300 par. That's what's trending now on WEI and WEI.com. Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode and catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. 
Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Now back to it. WEEI Late Night and streaming everywhere on the Odyssey app. I'm coming home. I'm coming home. Tell the world I'm coming home. Let the rain wash away. All right, there we go. Coming home. Foreshadowing what I'm about to say about Raphael Devers. By the way, you know what this song reminds me of? So I went to school in New York, in Syracuse, in New York State, not New York. So I went to school in Syracuse. And this, when I was in school, is when Carmelo Anthony got traded from the Denver Nuggets to the Knicks. And, like, we have NBC Sports Boston here, of course. The Knicks play on MSG. I tell you, Justin, this was, like... Their commercial for like months is Carmelo Anthony. This song, that's all it reminds me of. This is how I know the song is because of the Carmelo Anthony thing coming home to New York. That reminds me a ton of LeBron because they did a ton of LeBron videos when he went back to Cleveland. That was all it was. Yeah, you're right about that. It was, and remember, and that whole thing was so fraudulent too. Oh, he's just coming home to Cleveland. He always said he'd come back. Yeah, he went back because Dwayne Wade had bad knees, as we would all learn. And because he looked at Kyrie at the time as a better version of Dwayne Wade. Not to say the players are the same and not to say that Dwayne Wade hasn't had a better career than Kyrie. But at that point, it was a better option to go to Cleveland, play with Kyrie. And then you had the number one pick, so you had an asset. You could trade that. It was about winning a championship for LeBron. It was about playing for a better team. It wasn't about going to Cleveland. 617-779-7937, the number. Let's get to our guy, Paul. He is in Westfield. He wants to weigh in on the Celtics. Paul, what's up, man? Well, I'll tell you what's up. Let us count the ways of how we put ourselves in the exact position we want to be in because, like Professor Barrett said, like the coach knows and all the other players know, we're lined up for an easier path, and this is how you do it. One, well, we don't play much defense in the first half, and we gave up the most points ever. Hmm. Dice with an easy open layup at the end. Miss that because – that's what lines us up. And here's whoa, 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 whoa. So you think he purposely missed the layup? Listen, I'm a sports pope, Paul Christ. I got voodoo. <laughs> I got power. Right, I told him right, lose right, the game. Right. I disagree with you on that, yeah, Paul, so but go ahead. Yes, sir. And this is what else we've learned since this situation has evolved. Vice can shoot threes. He had 15 points in a quarter tonight, the most ever. So though we don't have the time, Lord, we have a guy – who can shoot and play defense. We're seeing um, uh, Jalen Brown play defense. We saw Smart do it. He stuffed Giannis a couple of times. We're seeing Marcus Smart, bud, develop into the player that's even better than any of us expected. Just like any other situation, a door shut, a window opens. So we have a much more complete team. And then we basically... We're down by, what, 10, 12 points in the third quarter, and we came right back and stomped on Milwaukee. That was a statement-maker game. They're not the big hen in the hen house, and we're a lot better than people give us credit for, and we lost the game just like I wanted. Thank you. I'm with you on that, Paul, and I appreciate the call as always. His line's open if you want to grab it at 617-779-7937. And I do feel like it's very similar, the Tice move and the Al Horford move both by anti-Celtics people, people that like to criticize the Celtics and people that accuse fans of the Celtics of being green teamers. When 
I felt like in the offseason, Al Horford, that was a good move. It wasn't just about getting rid of Kemba's contract. You got back a player that is familiar playing here, and Brad Stevens knew what Ime Adoka wanted. He wanted a versatile big man that could defend switches and that could occasionally hit threes. Well, Al's shooting the ball better than he has all season long. It's remarkable to see that. So I did feel like that wasn't just dumping Kemba. That was the main goal, dumping Kemba. But you got somebody back in return that was going to contribute. And then at the trading deadline, everybody poo-pooed the Tice move. Where are you right now without Daniel Tice? I can tell you exactly where you are. And his freedom is playing big minutes for this team because you don't have a backup big without Daniel Tice here. It was another excellent move by Brad. And to Paul's point, what do you call himself, Paul, the Pope or something? The sports Pope? The sports Jesus something? I don't know what he said. Yeah, he called himself. Wow. I mean, he's the second coming. But anyway, getting back to the point. I love Paul. Tice tonight, 3 of 3 from 3-point territory, 22 points, 5 rebounds, 3 assists. Here's the most staggering thing about Daniel Tice. And look, part of it is because he plays with really good players. I'm not diminishing that. The Celtics with Daniel Tice on the court this season, since the trade deadline, have a 123.7 offensive rating. They have a 104.1 defensive rating. That's a plus 19.6 net rating. He has been remarkable for this team. Since coming over, of course, from the Chicago Bulls, or excuse me, from the Houston Rockets at the trading deadline. I don't know why the hell Houston signed that guy. What was the point of Tice with the Houston Rockets? It's a lottery team that's trying to continue to be bad. Why do you sign a role player that should be playing for a postseason team? Like, Daniel Tice is a guy that we've seen. He plays big minutes in a playoff series. Why the hell would the Houston Rockets sign the guy? It, it never made sense to me whatsoever. But Tice has been really good for this team. And the fact that you have a guy, he's not Robert Williams, but can he be 65 to 70 to 75% of Robert Williams? Sure. Can you beat the Milwaukee Bucks without Robert Williams? I don't particularly think so. But Daniel Tice can certainly play a ton of minutes against the Bulls, and he's going to contribute to the Milwaukee Bucks series as well. So I don't really, I mean, if you look at it in terms of, we talk about Defensive Player of the Year as it pertains to Smart. We talk about Ime Adoka as Coach of the Year. I quite frankly don't think that Brad Stevens has got enough credit for what this what he's put together. He's given Ime Adoka all he possibly needs. And I feel like part of it with Brad is Brad's in a situation right now where he realizes exactly what the coach needs because he's been in that spot. And I have to imagine it. We obviously have seen what Brad has done, right? He brought back Tice. He brought back Al Horford, two guys that he did not want Danny Ainge to get rid of. Now, Horford decided to sign somewhere else in free agency, but he clearly he wanted him back. One of his first moves is trading Kemba, a guy that I think we're seeing he didn't really want. He doesn't like small, diminutive point guards they can't defend. He'd rather have a team full of guys that can defend. The Celtics throw out there guys that are really, really good defensive players. They don't have any weak links defensively. And no other playoff team can really say that. Even a team like the Milwaukee Bucks, they have weak links on their defense. Now, Grayson Allen did not play tonight, but he's not a particularly good defender. Bobby Portis is a guy that you can take advantage of from a defensive perspective as well. So all these teams, even the reigning defending champs, have weak links defensively. The Celtics don't. Look at the Miami Heat. Tyler Hero sucks. Duncan Robinson sucks. Those guys are absolutely atrocious from a defense perspective. The Celtics don't have any of those guys. So, yeah, they may not have the star power, although Tatum is getting pretty damn close to these guys. They may not have the star power of Giannis Antetokounmpo, but they have an incredibly well-rounded team right now. Now, the one thing I will say as it pertains to the Celtics is – there's been two teams since the turn of the century that have won an NBA championship without a current MVP or a former MVP. 
Those two teams, the 2019 Toronto Raptors. Now, Kawhi Leonard was third in the MVP voting back in the 2017 season. But he never won, and they didn't have an MVP on that team. And the other team would be the 2004 Pistons, Chauncey Billups, Rasheed Wallace. And even that team, it was kind of fishy how that thing happened. I remember Carl Malone gets injured early in that season for the Lakers. I believe that Lakers team in 04 started the season, I want to say 18-2. and two. And then they had the Kobe situation off the court, right? So, I mean, they really got the Lakers at the right time. Kobe was taking way more shots than Shaq in the finals. Then they got divorced, essentially, after the season. I mean, that Lakers team, unbelievably talented. They were just a complete debacle in terms of from a personal standpoint. They did not get along whatsoever. So the Celtics would really have to buck the trend. But it does kind of feel like 2015 Warriors, Warriors like to me. Where the Warriors is just like, wait, is this team good enough? Are They're going to win the championship? And all of a sudden you're like, oh, okay. Yeah, this thing can work in the postseason. Look, the Warriors got some breaks along the way, right? I mean, in that finals, the Cleveland Cavaliers, Kyrie goes down. Kevin Love doesn't play. Like, they caught some breaks along the way, but that really started their run. And then, of course, they get to rant, and then that becomes a super team. But the point being... The Celtics are in a very good situation in terms of, well, I don't know why I said point being. These points aren't related. But just getting back to the original way we started the show tonight, this is huge for the Celtics because you get an incredibly weak Chicago Bulls team in the first round of the postseason. You played them on their home court last night, and they learned they have nothing for you. The Bulls don't have anything for you. They're a poor defensive team. DeRozan's a great player, but think about all the guys you can put on him. And by the way, DeRozan is a horrible postseason player in his career. Great season, great player, horrible postseason player. 21 points per game. He shoots about 42% from the floor. You got Smart to put on him. You got Tatum to put on him. You have Jalen Brown to put on him. That guy is not going to eat up the Celtics in a postseason series. Zach Levine is dealing with a knee issue right now. Vucevic is a traffic cone from a defensive perspective. The Celtics will absolutely smoke the Chicago Bulls. And the idea is get Robert Williams healthy for the second round and get him ready for the Milwaukee Bucks. It's really a great situation for the Celtics tonight. Oh, one other thing I want to touch on real quick before we get to Devers. The Marcus Smart, the defensive player of the year situation, that to me seems like he would really, and I know like somehow he's the odds-on favorite right now. I really feel like the momentum has been building up for him, and I think a couple of reasons for that. First of all is Tim Bontemps did this article last week about the defensive player of the year and should a guard win it and why a center is more important than a guard and all that. Like you had Rudy Gobert and Marcus Smart like arguing back and forth, basically. Not that they were arguing like directly to each other, but that was the gist of the article. And I do understand like, at least from my perspective, why big men win it way more often than guards. It's not just the counting stats, it's the impact stats, right? So if you look at the on-off differential with Smart on the floor, it's 1.6 points per 100 possessions. So the Celtics' defense is really still great when he's off the court. If you take, like, for example, Bam Adebayo, that probably hasn't played enough games to get to this level, but it's four points per 100 possessions better without him or better with him on the court. You look at Rudy Gobert, 6.3 points per 100, per 100 possessions better when he's on the court than off. Even Draymond Green, 4.1 points per 100 possessions. So... A guard, and it's nothing against Smart, or even like a guy like Bridges, Bridges rather, that plays on the perimeter, Mikel Bridges for the Suns. Their defense is actually better when he's off the court, statistically. They're 2.4 points per 100 possessions worse with Bridges on the court than when he's off the court. So they're actually better when he's off the court. And 
clearly, Mikel Bridges is their best wing defender, and he covers the other team's best wing player, right? So it's just the fact that he's matched up with the other team's best player. It doesn't diminish what Smart and what Bridges do from a defensive perspective. They just don't have the same level of impact as the elite bigs do, that Draymond Green does, that Rudy Gobert does, that Jaron Jackson Jr. even does, or especially a guy like Bam Adebayo. So if it was me, I would not vote for Marcus Smart. I hope he wins it just from a Celtics perspective because they're hyping it up like crazy, but I really don't think you can give it to a perimeter player over Bam, over Green, over Gobert, or even, quite frankly, over Giannis. If you look at the Milwaukee Bucks, Giannis has won it before. They're four points per 100 possessions better when he's on the court than off the court. And even Robert Williams, you look at the guy on the Celtics with Marcus Smart. The Celtics are 3.5 points per 100 possessions better with Robert Williams defensively than with Mark, than with him off the court. So Robert Williams, from just an impact standpoint statistically, has a bigger impact on the Celtics defensively than does Marcus Smart. It's nothing against Marcus Smart. He's the best perimeter defender in the NBA. I just have a tough time saying that guy should be the defensive player of the year based on the impact metrics favor the big guys. And that's been the case for years now. Um, but I do want to get to one other thing with the Celtics. I know I said I'll get to Devers. I'll get to him in a second. I promise it's an abbreviated show, one-hour show, so I got to get a lot in. I was looking at this today, and it's this actually goes back to Tatum on that podcast with J.J. Redick a couple of months ago. It doesn't make any sense to me that the All-NBA team, it has position designations, but it does, right? So, like, for example... The NBA hasn't released it yet. Like, they may decide to put Jokic as a forward, which makes no sense because Jokic has literally played. You know how many minutes Jokic has played at forward this season? Zero. So he shouldn't be eligible to be a forward. If we're sticking to positions, he should not be eligible there. And I don't believe the NBA will make him eligible. But the point being, and even if he is eligible, the voters should not vote for him as a forward because he's not a forward, right? So when you look at it, at the forward position, you're going to have Jokic in all likelihood as the first team All-NBA center. Both those guys, him and Embiid, should be first team All-NBA, but that's not how the NBA operates. Even the All-Star game, it's front court and back court. They're not doing it for All-NBA. They haven't for a couple of years. So if we're going by how this thing should be ironed out, you have Jokic as the center. You have Giannis Antetokounmpo as one of the forwards on the All-NBA first team. And I would give it to Tatum over Durant. And this isn't me being a homer towards the Celtics or Green Team or et cetera. I just look at the fact that at some point, games played has to matter. So if you look at the per-game stats, Durant's numbers are better than Tatum. I'm, I'm not disputing that. But if you look at the impact numbers, they're very similar, and they actually favor Tatum. Tatum is at plus 13.1 points per 100 possessions in terms of his on-off differential. So that's how much better the Celtics are. With Tatum on the court than without him on the court. Durant, it's about 10.9. Actually, I can update that because they... Okay, yeah. So, on-off differential per 100 possessions. Tatum plus 13.4. So, the Celtics are 13.4 points per 100 possessions better with Tatum on the court than off the court. That is a ridiculous number. Durant's at plus 11.4. So, still really good, but Tatum's two points better. ESPN's real plus minus. Tatum plus 899. Durant plus 617. So more than two points better when it comes to that. Tatum is also the leader in the NBA in total off-on differential. He's at plus 703. And he's second in another advanced metric. 538's Raptor Awards. Basically like Major League Baseball. Wins above replacement. He's at 12.9. That's second to only Jokic. So he's better in the impact metrics than Kevin Durant is. And here's the big one. Tatum has played in 75 games. Durant's played in 53. 
Tatum's team is in all likelihood now after the loss tonight, they're going to end up with a three seed. Durant's team is going to end up with a seven seed. You have to give Jason Tatum first team all NBA over Kevin Durant. Even if Durant was better on a per game basis, Tatum played in 22 more games and his impact metrics are all better than Kevin Durant. I don't know how you don't put Tatum on the first team. So if you do want to wait in the Celtics and what you make of this loss tonight, I don't know how you can argue that it wasn't a good thing. It's perfect for the Celtics. They're going to get the Bulls in the first round, which is the easiest matchup. And then you have the Bucks in all likelihood having to deal with Kevin Durant and the Nets in the first round. And you have Philadelphia, who just lost to Toronto. They're going to have to play Toronto in the postseason without a guy in Matisse Thibel, who is their best perimeter defender. And James Harden sucks right now. He was 3 of 12 tonight for 13 points. The guy's averaging 14 points this month in four games. He's been absolutely atrocious. So they're going to have a grinded-out series with the Toronto Raptors, not to mention the fact that Toronto has a much better coach than Philadelphia. Philadelphia's got Glenn Rivers, and Toronto has Nick Nurse. You tell me who you'd rather have in a seven-game series. Nobody has blown more 3-1 leads in postseason history than Doc Rivers. Not to mention he's paired up with the biggest playoff choke artist of this recent generation in James Harden. But I did want to get to the Red Sox real quickly and Rafael Devers, and I'll get into this in just a little bit as well. So it felt like a lot of the momentum was negative towards Devers and the contract extension because it starts last night. This is via Hector Gomez. The Red Sox offered Rafael Devers a contract extension, but the player rejected it because it was lower than he was willing to consider. Devers will now focus his 2022 season looking to further increase his market value. Okay, so that first tweet comes out, you're like, ugh, this isn't good. He considers it to be way lower than he's willing to consider. Okay, then he tweets out this, does Hector Gomez. Great job by him reporting here. The Red Sox are expected to make another extension offer that's closer to what Rafael Devers is looking for. So right then and there, you're like, oh, this is a good thing. So the Red Sox are actually willing to... Up their offer for Rafael Devers. Okay, that's what we want to hear. And it's closer to what Devers is asking for. Then he updates. The Red Sox offer to Rafael Devers was better than the one that the Guardians made to Jose Ramirez. Now, he did say that Devers rejected the, that contract that the Red Sox were offering, but it was more than Rafael Devers. So there, or it was greater than the Jose Ramirez contract. So here's the thing that we know about what's going on between Rafael Devers and the Red Sox. They were far apart in a contract extension. The Red Sox, according to Hector Gomez, MLB insider from the Dominican Republic, reports that, yeah, they're far apart, but the Red Sox are going to come closer to what Devers wants. Okay, the Red Sox come closer to what Devers wants. It's more than Jose Ramirez, but Devers still wants more money than that. But the point being, there's progress here at every turn as it pertains to the Devers situation. Okay, and then we have this article tonight from June Lee of ESPN. He says... Since Boston tapped Bloom to run the baseball operations department, the team has shown a reluctance toward extending large amounts of money across long periods of time for one player. That baseball operations philosophy informed the team's decision to trade Mookie Betts, who signed a 12-year, $365 million contract after being traded to the Los Angeles Dodgers. Critics among the Boston media and fans have named Bloom's Red Sox as Tampa Bay East, referring to the Rays' willingness, or unwillingness, I should say, to invest significant amounts of money during Bloom's time with the team from 05 through 19. But, but, here's the but, people. According to front office sources, the Red Sox are considering making Devers an exception to that philosophy. Because of Devers' youth compared to Bogarts, the team sees 
a longer-term investment as a safer bet. The 25-year-old is scheduled to hit free agency after the 23 season, and the team is weighing the cost-benefit analysis of signing the third baseman to a long-term contract that would pay him along the lines of the game's richest third baseman, including Manny Machado, 10 years, 300 mil, Nolan Arenado, 8-260, and Anthony Rendon, 7 years, 245. So the Red Sox are putting this out there through June Lee. Outstanding job by him from ESPN at getting this intel from the Red Sox. They're putting it out there through a reporter that they're willing to meet the Manny Machado or come close to the Manny Machado, Nolan Arenado, Anthony Rendon territory in terms of the money, in terms of the average annual value. They're willing to essentially go against their practices to make sure they keep Devers long-term. So that is sending a message not only to the player, in Raphael Devers, but his representation as well. We don't do this for anybody, but we're willing to do it for you. And they're also putting it out there to the fan base that, because they know this is going to go up on ESPN.com and June Lee's going to report on it. They're sending it out there to the fan base that we're going to get this done. Because you don't put that type of stuff out there that they're willing to change their philosophy to pay a guy like Devers. You don't put that out there unless you think a deal is going to get done. So I believe something is going to get done with Rafael Devers. Now, maybe it's not before opening day, but something is going to get done with Rafael Devers before he hits free agency. All right, 617-779-7937 is a number. Brian Barrett with you up until 11 o'clock. But I do want to get to the Bogarts angle of this because it doesn't feel like he's going to get a contract. Is that the right move for the Red Sox? We'll tell you next here on EEI. WEEI Late Night. On Boston Sports Original. WEEI. All right, that'll get us ready. Red Sox and Yankees tomorrow. Cannot wait. 12.05 pregame with Mutt and then Kasteg and Will Fleming have the call at 105. Oh, man, it feels like they had this game very recently, right? Cole versus Evaldi. I mean, you can't ask for a better day, opening day than that. I guess the only thing that would be better if it was at home. But Sox, Yankees, let's go. And then you got Pavetta over the weekend. Montgomery's going to go at some point. I believe he goes Sunday against Tanner Houck, and then you're going to get Severino and Pavetta on set. I cannot wait for this. It's going to be awesome to get this season underway. Let's get to Mike in Providence. Hey, Mike. Hey, what's going on, man? Doing well. How about yourself? Oh, listen, uh, listen, I'm just driving to work, so not that good. Um, <laughs> I, I just, I, I think Rafi Devers is an absolute stud, and I hope you guys don't keep him because as a Yankees fan, I don't even want him in this division. But he's, <laughs> he's a Yankee killer to me personally. Um, now, I, well, I remember, think, uh, Mike, his like his like first moment was the home run off Chapman. Yeah, I know. I wouldn't forget that. Believe me, I know. <laughs> um, but I, I think um, JD Martinez has a lot to do with. It. I think he's actually um, you know hailed him as helping him out quite a bit. But this guy, you could tell he's a natural hitter. Like he can he could just hit whether JD helped him or not. His glove, on the other hand, well, you know he can get better. You can always practice that kind of stuff but being a natural hitter is, is is something that he is and he's obviously working on his craft and I think he can you know he can win a batting title I think he's that good um and uh I, I think if you guys don't keep him that's a huge mistake on your behalf yeah um, and I think they and, will uh, Mike Mike I appreciate the phone call I think they will because I just I don't believe that you put this out there through June Lee of ESPN that the Red Sox are basically going to go against their thought process and they're willing to change and 
pay a guy similar to what Manny Machado got, Nolan Arenado, Anthony Redone got. I don't think you put that out there unless you have a plan to sign Rafael Devers long-term. And this is the type of guy, and this is why the Red Sox are considering altering their plans. The reason they're thinking this way is because, first of all, the age, unlike Bogarts, Bogarts is entering free agency next year at 30. Devers right now is 25. So you get an extension done now, even if it's a 10-year contract, you're signing him through 35. Most of these guys are getting these contracts when they're signed through essentially their 40-year-old seasons, like the Albert Pujols of the world, the Miguel Cabreras of the world. So if you are going to change a tendency that the Red Sox are essentially saying they're having, this is the time that you do it. You do it right now with a guy like Rafael Devers. And the other thing about Devers is he's different than these other guys. Bogarts is a great player, but he's not near the offensive threat that Devers is. Devers, since 2019, 552 hard-hit balls, off the bat at 95-plus, leads baseball. 107 doubles since 19, tied for first. 271 RBIs since 19, second. 427 hits, fourth. He also has, of course, as I mentioned with the hard hits, he has legitimate raw power that nobody else, even J.D. Martinez, doesn't have this type of raw power. He had an unbelievable spring, OPS over 1,000. He hit six home runs. So the reason that Devers hasn't agreed to a contract yet is because this is a negotiating tactic, right? Devers is not comparing himself to Jose Ramirez, right? So nobody should have ever looked at that Jose Ramirez contract and said, hey, this is the framework for a Rafael Devers deal. I don't know why people were thinking that way. It just doesn't make sense. It's two totally different situations. You have a guy in Jose Ramirez who you can argue is a better player than Devers right now. Certainly you could argue that. He's definitely a better defensive player. He's an elite defensive player. But he was under contract for two more years, this year and next year, at 13 or I believe 12 and 14. And then he enters free agency on the other side of 30. So it behooved him to get a deal done because he wants to lock up that long-term security. With Devers, that's not the case. What's the worst that could happen to Devers? Okay, this year he's making 11 mil. Next year he's probably going to make somewhere between 18 and $20 million if they can't get an extension done. So then he goes into free agency at the age of 27. He's going to cash in. So it didn't behoove Devers to take a below-market deal, if you will, a team-friendly deal. With Bogarts, I genuinely feel bad for him, right? Because Bogarts, and look, I, I don't blame the Red Sox for doing business this way. I would be doing the same thing. He's going to next year be a 30-year-old shortstop, and he is asking for a contract that is somewhere in the range of Carlos Correa, 35.1 mil, Francisco Lindor, 34.1 mil, Corey Seager, $33 million. Now, I'm glad, and June Lee had this, that the Red Sox' original target this offseason was Corey Seager. I'm glad they didn't sign Corey Seager because he can't stay healthy. 95 games last year, 52 games two years ago. I guess that was technically the shortened season. 2018, remember they had to trade for Manny Machado because he only played in 26 games. So this guy just doesn't stay healthy. I'm glad they didn't sign him to that. But I don't want to be signing Xander Bogarts to a long-term contract extension at $30, $35 million a year when, from a defensive perspective, he can't play the position anymore. Now, I I honestly feel bad for Bogarts because he wants to be here, obviously. But I don't think he's going to take another sort of below-market deal like he did last time out and switch positions. I just don't envision him being willing to do this in the near future. So I side with the Red Sox. Not that I hold it against Bogarts. He should do this. That offer that he's alluding to could be out there for him in the open market. I don't think it's going to be as sizable as him and Scott Boris think because everybody else knows the defensive metrics with Bogarts as well, not to mention the fact that he's been sliding in the second half of seasons. Now, last year, you can say it was the wrist, whatever, but he's been dealing with 
those type of issues throughout his career. So when I look at it just in terms of the long-term future with Bogarts, if he ends up signing with a different team next offseason, I won't hold it against him. And I would say that from my perspective, the organization will do the right thing because they have Trevor Story here who can push over to play shortstop and he's better defensively. So I'm not going to blame the organization for letting Bogarts go. I will get pissed if they don't get something done with Devers. But the more you read through this stuff, it feels like that Devers deal is going to get done. All right. Thanks to Justin Turpin for producing tonight. I'll be back with you tomorrow from 6 to 10 after the Sox, after Lou and Christian. Have a great night, everybody. Be safe and be well. WEEI. New England Sports Original. Original. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.